Welcome to a brand new season of Play on Nerds, the only podcast brave enough to arm wrestle Boris Karloff. If you like what you hear, be sure to give us a like and follow Broken Stairs Productions on IG and Facebook. That's Instagram and Facebook for you noobs. With me, the man who once built a platypus from a dead duck and a beaver, brought it to life and screamed, It's alive! Ron Raider. Well, I was wrapped up in the moment. Ha! <laughs> uh, I see what you did there. So, Ron, here we are in Season 2 of Play on Nerds. Do you want to give our listeners a heads up on format changes and the topic for today? Yeah, sure thing. First up, we will discuss film, and in particular, the Frankenstein movies of the 30s and 40s. Then we will move into our new segment, in which we talk about vintage toys, and today featuring various Frankenstein figures over the years. After that, we will discuss comic books and focus in this episode on the horror title from Marvel, Monster of Frankenstein from 1953. Also, in the world of tabletop gaming, we will discuss Flesh Golems in D&D and Pathfinder and Ravensburger's great board game, Horrified. Sounds electrifying. I'm so sorry. That's horrible. All right, let's get started. Roll that film beat music, and we'll get started with film. So, Frankenstein. We talked briefly in our History of Movies episode in Season 1 about the various Frankenstein films. But this time I want to do a deeper dive. Prepare for dive! Because Frankenstein is my favorite universal horror monster, if you will. And which is a misnomer because we talked about this as well. Frankenstein is actually the doctor, not the creature. But it's also the title of the movie, so it makes people think otherwise. And for kind sure. of a debacle there. However, I digress. The first Frankenstein movie being in 1910 with uh, Edison's Frankenstein. We talked about that one. But this one is 1931 Frankenstein. That's what we're going to focus on here. Okay. And it's sequels. So 1931, James Whale, produced by Carl Lemley Jr., um, because he was young and who had been given the gift of the studio from his dad. Nice gift. Yeah. Yeah. Here. Happy birthday. You're 21 now. Run the studio. Um and it was funny because we mentioned this in the history of film episode, how they were just cranking them out during the 40s, 30s and 40s, right? I just learned recently that that actually bankrupted Universal and the board of directors kicked the Lemleys out. Hello, I was hurt at work today. Wow. Uh, late 40s. So like mid to late 40s. And they took over and tried to, you know, revitalize Universal. So it's kind of like, oh, okay. Well, they spent too much too quickly to get the movies out and... They were box office smashes at the time, but it wasn't until they were put into syndication mm-hmm. with like the various, you know, TV channels like Mr. Gooley's Saturday Afternoon Feast or whatever that they really kicked off and became super popular. By then it was too late. They already spent the money and, you know. Not getting ticket sales from that. No, not at all. So, Frankenstein 1931, great example of German expressionism. Phenomenal directing. Makeup by Jack Pierce, who did makeup for other horror movies from Universal, such as The Mummy and a few others. Bride of Frankenstein he did as well, which we'll talk about that in just a moment. But, I mean, the story is pretty simple, and it doesn't follow the novel too closely. No? Uh, Believe it or not, it does not follow the novel too closely, which I guess there was a few, very, very few complaints at the time about that. Probably a lot of people haven't read the novel. (laughs) I would think so. However, the second one follows it a little bit closer, and the it has bookends, and we'll get to that when we talk about Bride of Frankenstein. It has like a a wraparound segment, if you will, that regards the novel. I should say. Okay. So, my favorite scene. If you're going to break this down into scenes, I'm not going to recap the whole movie because, you know, why do that? We can, People can watch a movie. It's, I actually did find it on Vimeo, I believe, online, so we could watch it. And part of me did want to pull it up on the TV here, Ron, oh, and cool. have us record, <laughs> like, real-time reaction 
because uh, it's probably been a while since you watched it, and it's only an hour and eleven minutes. Not long at all. So I was like, hey, we could just record an episode where we're watching, and get you know, yeah, commentary, and cool. you just do commentary. But I'm like, no, no, no. There's plenty of those out there too. So. <laughs> Just the whole opening sequence takes place in a graveyard, and there's something very spooky about the graveyard anyway. Like, it pans across these crooked tombstones and a, and a statue of death, which really sets a tone for the movie. And there's there's a funeral being held, and you hear the, the dinging of a bell, and, and you see this creepy guy poke up behind a, from behind a fence. And then the good doctor pokes up next to him, and he's like, not now, Fritz. Down. And he like how they go back into hiding. Mm. They wait till the funeral's over, and they dig up the casket, and they kind of struggle a little bit, and he gets it upright. And there's something I hadn't noticed when I was younger, but Doctor Frankenstein actually caresses the coffin, ooh, like almost like one would a lover. And he Crazy. says, "It's just they're just sleeping, waiting to be given a new chance on life." And just, it's very creepy. Colin Clive plays the good doctor, and let me tell you, or the bad doctor, I guess. But let me tell you, he does a phenomenal job <laughs> with portraying obsession and just the creepy vibe that he has. And I guess they had a slight problem with Colin Clive in this and other movies, um, that he was a little bit of an alcoholic. Oh. And he would come to work quite often completely inebriated. However, he did a great job, so no one said anything. <laughs> like no one would, you know, try to say, "Hey, you need to knock off the drinking or anything." Because he he always got his lines. He always, you know, made his mark and and like was there. So he was never late to set or anything. So that no one really cared, I guess. Wow. So after that scene, you get you know they start creating the body, and like I said, I'm not going to go through each scene, but the infamous, now infamous scene of the bringing to life the creature. For one, Boris Karloff plays a creature. And in the opening credits, it actually has a question mark. If you see that, it's like the creature, question mark. So they had a sense of mystery about it. And Boris Karloff, this is, you know, his first big break, I guess. So he said he would not do that scene. Because if you think about that scene, there's lightning... And sparks, showers of sparks flying everywhere. Right. And the designer for the equipment was like, fine, I'll do it. And so that's why you see the body wrapped up like a mummy and put on the table. Because mm. it's actually the designer for the equipment. He's like, it's perfectly safe, I'll do it. And so when it goes up and then comes back down, that's the that's a stunt person, if you will. But it's the designer of the mechanical Talk, talk about a great way of incorporating a narrative element to to hide that the the wrapping. Yes. Oh yeah, absolutely. Adds to it. Oh yeah, for sure. And that honestly the lab equipment is so iconic. We'll get to that in just a moment. It is. Um because there's something really cool that I can't wait to talk about there. <laughs> so after he's brought to life Frankenstein, he had his mentor, his fiance and his friend there witnessing, you know. And he kind of just loses it once he sees that he was successful. And he says, it's alive, it's alive. It's a classic now. Everybody's like, oh, yeah, I know that. He goes, in the name of God, now I know what it's like to be God. Well, that was was censored at later releases. I'm not surprised. And they didn't just cut it out. This is what's brilliant. I, I love it when, like, directors and sound engineers and stuff are brilliant like this. They actually just put a big thunderclap and lightning over a little bit of that line. God, <laughs> you know, it's like wow. Okay, so you can kind of still guess what he was saying, but yeah, but it was like oh, that was, and it just fit because there was already thunder and lightning in the whole scene. Wow, that's super cool. Yeah, for sure. And a little bit after that, we get our first glimpse of Boris Karloff in full Frankenstein makeup. The reveal on this. The first time I watched it, I had goosebumps because it was so well done. <laughs> James Whale. I mean, he was honestly he was brilliant. I there was a couple. He did Invisible Man as well, which was good. I don't get me wrong. I like Invisible Man, but I don't think it's his top shelf quality work. I saw Invisible Man as a kid. I don't remember it well, but I do remember enjoying it. Yeah, and the special effects in that were amazing. But the first glimpse we get of Frankenstein, you hear these heavy footsteps coming down the hall. 
And in this castle, there is not one straight angle, I can tell you that. Like, even the staircases going up, they're crooked and worn. So he comes in backwards through the door, and he um, he slowly turns around, and you get a close-up of that face. <laughs> that Frankenstein face. And it's just, like I said, chills. Chills. It just is so amazing. That had to blow viewers' minds back then. For sure. For sure. So, yeah, I'm sure it was a huge, I guess, reveal, for lack of a better term. Yeah. It, was, it was a big cinematic achievement, honestly. And it still, like I said, it still works. Like, when the first time I saw it, I got chills. Every now and then, if I rewatch, I focus on that scene so intently because I love the framing of the creature's body in the doorway and just the slow turnaround, and then you get the close-up on the face, and Jack Pierce, let me just take a moment right here and talk about Jack Pierce makeup for just just briefly. It's iconic, right? It sure is. You got the the flat-top head, which we talked about briefly, you know, why, you know, the doctor did that. And, but there's, I guess, uh, Boris Karloff had partials or dentures, and he took them out, and it made his cheeks go sunken oh wow and and because jack pierce had mentioned he's like i just wish we could get your cheeks to sink in a little bit more he goes oh well i'll just take these out then and he takes out his uh his dentures and he's like perfect we're done <laughs> like he didn't have to have a device or or collagen or anything for that you know and that's great but that close-up you get the che- his cheeks sunken in the eyelids are kind of droopy and he's just like he looks like death brought back to life you know it's just right. amazing and the stables in the forehead, and just whew, so well done. Super. Very well done. Then you get to another scene a little bit later on where, you know, he, he gets out of the castle, and he's wandering around, and he comes across a little girl. Do you remember the scene? Slightly, yes. Um, was it by water or something? Yes. Yeah, she was throwing flowers into the water. Okay. And she's not afraid of this creature at all. And he has a mentality of, like, a little kid as well. And uh, she's like, look, it floats, it floats. And, and she's like, and she's like, oh, no, no more flowers. And he runs out of flowers, and he gets this grin on his face. And he's like, well, shoot, I'll just throw you in the water and see if you float. Mm. And he picks this little girl up and chucks her into the water. And she says, like, ow, no, you're hurting me, and throws, and you hear the splash. Right? That's another scene that was censored later. Ooh. And I'm like, huh, that's weird. And and there's no explanation. Like, with it being censored, later on you just see this dad bringing back this lifeless body of a little girl into the town. That's oh, just, wow. like, and I don't get it because her, her clothes were, like, torn up and stuff. And I'm like, how'd that happen? Like, you know, like, so there was, it, again, for lack of a better term, it almost seemed rapey. Like, uh, that's the, what I was thinking. That with it being like censored, yeah. <laughs> you know? Maybe it was supposed to imply that before or something. Maybe. I don't know. I don't see James Whale doing that, but maybe. I don't know. Yeah. And it really hits heavier now as a father, you know, but I'm like, oof. And poor creature. He was just trying to make a friend, <laughs> you know. <laughs> so, of course, the villagers go nuts and track Frankenstein down. And they end up, at the end, they're in this huge windmill and they set fire to it. And the creature tosses the doctor's body over the side in hopes to kill him. And originally, in the original script, he was supposed to die there. But then they retconned it and shot additional footage after because they wanted it back for a sequel. Uh-huh. And the creature, no one knows what happened to the creature. The windmill collapses in a fiery ball. And, until round two of Bride of Frankenstein, which is amazing as well. What do you prefer of the two? I prefer the first one just because it's the original and kind of like when you have comic book movies and, you know, like, yeah, it's like, I prefer Batman over Batman Returns, but sure. they're both good in their own right. Just, I like Batman slightly better because it's the first one, you know? So same thing with this. It's, there's a lot of good storytelling in Bride of Frankenstein. There's a lot of good cinematic moments in Bride of Frankenstein. And it's a little bit closer to the novel in some aspects. So, you had just looked up that Colin Clive, even yes. he re- he does return for Bride of Frankenstein as well, but he had passed away at the age of 37. 
37 probably due to the alcoholism and such i'm guessing but yeah i mean so, so sad you know yeah i think i read that he had a stroke but i mean it's probably what yeah contributed to it oh i'm sure i am sure and he's just like i said phenomenal actor he was also in i want to say mad love hmm. which is another good one i've not yet watched it but i keep hearing great things about it and let's face it peter Lorre is in it and Peter Laurie's awesome too, you know. You know Peter. Oh Lurie. yeah, yeah, he is awesome. Yeah, so, so yeah, and he was, you know, he's a man of his time as well. But getting back to Bride of Frankenstein, it opens with a thunderstorm, appropriately. Doesn't say perfect. Yep, and it's Lord Byron and Mary uh, Shelley, and they're. And I can't remember the third character, drawn a blank. But they're discussing the first work of Mary Shelley and the Frankenstein novel. And he's and he's basically saying, Can you believe someone so beautiful could conceive of something so horrid as Frankenstein? And the actor who plays Lord Byron is hilarious. He's like, Can you imagine that the brow of this beautiful creature? And like he rolls all the R's like really blatantly. Like it's so over the top. It's hilarious. So the first few times I watched it, I was just cracking. I'm like, oh my gosh, I can't believe this is so cheesy. But you get used to it. It's fine. But it's funny because she says, no, no, no. That's just the beginning. And they're like, oh, there's more. Do tell. She's like, no, I don't want to do that. And they're like, no, 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 do tell. And so she starts telling the story, which ends up being Bride of Frankenstein. Nice. I like that. So it's kind of neat how it blends in. And this one, we pick up with the creature under in this cavern and, like, pool, I guess, under these ruins. And he has ash all over him, and he picks up, and he looks like his face has been burned a bit. And so it picks up almost immediately after. Nice. And the makeup for that was really well done as well. So, Bride of Frankenstein was good. They had it actually introduced some new special effects in the form of tiny people oh. in jars. Um, so that was before the Incredible Shrinking Man and things like that. So they were probably on the forefront of that. Yes, yes, indeed. And the whole premise of it, our letter listeners look it up and look at the plot and go see by scene if they wish. But I think it's up there with the first one. Definitely. Hmm. Not my favorite, but it's definitely up there. And then Son of Frankenstein we'll get into as well. You've seen Young Frankenstein, I'm sure. Oh, yeah. Young Frankenstein is almost a copy of Son of Frankenstein with comedy. Oh, okay. The same premise and everything. Nice. Um, except with instead of a grandfather, it's the father. and it's They almost go hand in hand, actually. Son of Frankenstein, you could see where Mel Brooks was thinking or Gene Wilder was thinking for Young Frankenstein. By watching Son of Frankenstein. Like, you can see a lot of stuff in there. Great. So, it, a lot of it does bleed over. And honestly, I never thought much of it as a sequel. But upon third viewing, it actually clicked with me. <laughs> I was like, this is not that bad. Now, one of the things I didn't like when I was younger was they changed the creature's costume. It used to be, like, the black suit with the black shirt and, you know, big boots and stuff. For whatever reason, they decided to give him the black shirt again. And like light brown pants or brown pants <laughs> and this fur vest. I know it's just terrible. Right? You would think that it's terrible, right? But apparently somebody at Marvel liked it because that became the creature's iconic cover costume in Marvel's run of the monster of Frankenstein. I know. And I've seen a few other pop culture um, adaptations of the character and with, with that fur vest. With the fur vest, which it, it seems like it would be horrible. And I like, I prefer the original costume. But yeah. this one kind of grew on me as well. Yeah, it but does. It, it gets good. And let's not forget, Son of Frankenstein also introduces Bella Lugosi as Igor. <laughs> and he is amazing. He has this, like, bone protrusion in his neck because the, the town council tried to hang him once for a crime. And it didn't stick. He didn't die. Why won't you die? So <laughs> they call him in front of the council again to question him about, like, the son of Frankenstein, you know. Not Victor Frankenstein. That was a doctor. It's his son. And and see what's going on in that castle. And he's, he doesn't cooperate hardly at all. And he's like, I'm sorry. I cannot speak louder. There's this 
you know, problem with my neck. And he, like, knocks on the bone in his neck. And everybody's just, like, so mad at him and stuff. And <laughs> they don't want to try again because it's like, well, we tried killing him before. It didn't work. And, you know, you can't be trying and tried for the same crime twice. And, you know, so it's kind of fun. That's but good. Bella Lugosi does a great, I would say it's on par with Dracula for roles for him. Nice. It is so well done. So, yeah, Son of Frankenstein, good stuff. The end of that, I mean, spoiler alert for an 80-year-old movie or whatever. There's a big fight scene at the end because the creature had kidnapped the grandson of Frankenstein. And there's a big fight scene at the end with a sulfur pit. And Ooh. it is so cool. So I'm I'm not going to spoil it any further because you got to watch it. Like, So these are the really big good. three. These are I'm the big three. not spoiling it, and I suppose maybe this might spoil a little, a little bit. So these are the big three with this continuity. Mm-hmm. Are there sequels post these three with the same storyline, the same continuity? Yes, they do tie in. I just mentioned these three because they're my favorites and they're sure. the best. After this, you get like um, Frankenstein meets a Wolfman, those types of movies, mm. and they kind of tie in. Um, these are the th- three. Th- these are the three with Boris Karloff as a creature. After that. It goes to Glenn Strange, which is another actor. He does great. Don't get me wrong. Um, also, Lon Chaney Jr. played the creature as well. Mm. And Bela Lugosi comes back as Igor in one of them. And there's a plot line in later movies where he switches his brain with the creature. Igor becomes a creature. And it's just like... So Bela Lugosi ends up playing the creature at one point. That's trippy. Which is Which really works because, you know, it's... Igor as a creature, you know, and it is trippy because it's especially since Bella turned down the role in the beginning in 1931. So I maybe you need the money. <laughs> so it's kind of neat. Well, he probably didn't know it was going to be such a hit. Right. All that, too. But he did mention that he didn't want if he was going to be on screen, he wanted to be known. And he's like, I'm not just going to be walking around blindlessly grunting and, you know, hidden by be, a pound of makeup. Hidden by Right. And he, he wanted to be known. So that's why I went to Boris Karloff at the time. So he did end up playing the creature as Eeyore. And it was just, it was really cool. And there there's one of the sequels that Frankenstein, this is a stereotypical, when we think of old school Frankenstein, we think of the arm stretched out in front of you, stumbling around. You yeah. Know. That actually did not come into play until like the fourth or fifth movie. Because there was a plot line that was abandoned saying the creature was blind. I can't see, goddammit. Oh. And he was, like, feeling around, you know, and that's why his arms would stretch out in front of him and stuff. But they had abandoned that plot line and never mentioned it. So here you get this footage of him stumbling around with his arms out in front of him, and we're like, why? <laughs> <laughs> so the other thing is, in Bride of Frankenstein, the creature learned how to speak. Oh, okay. And then they retconned it, and he does speak, a, I believe he speaks a little tiny bit in Son of Frankenstein, not much. But after that, they retcon it, and he doesn't speak. Like I'm like, oh well, okay. So well, you just really was... kind of jarred a memory for me, and that was the Kenneth Branagh version, which mm-hmm. I think is much more faithful to the novel. Oh, big time, yeah. yeah. And obviously, the creature in that film talked. So I guess my question for you is: I know you're a lover of these three films, mm-hmm. and this is your your, if you will, Frankenstein. Are there any? down the road that aren't tied to these any films where you're like okay that's um either enjoyable or ties in with the same type of spirit any others that you love or would recommend oh for sure the kenneth Branagh frankenstein is good don't get me wrong it's more faithful than the novel and i do like i do enjoy that occasionally and that follow like the play follows closer to that as well i was in the play for a while oh great uh, as as henry the uh, best friend of Frankenstein, which, you know, is pretty major part at the time. Yeah. So there's also Van Helsing. I don't know if you've seen that. Uh, with um, Hugh Jackman? With Hugh Jackman. Yeah, that's a fun movie. It's a fun movie. Unfortunately, it didn't do as well as they'd hoped, and it's kind of seen as cheesy now or whatever. But if you're a fan of universal horror, check it out. I thought it was great. So it's yeah, I thought so too. I love it. I still watch it every now and then, but that that's the same type of fun. I got that nostalgic feeling of old black and white movies, and because it opens in black and white, even yep. with the fiery windmill and everything. You know, he so. rarely has a dud, so that's so yeah, surprising yeah. that one didn't do better. Yeah, for sure. So, so yeah, I, I thoroughly enjoy that. As far as there's, I believe there is one with James McAvoy. There's a Frankenstein movie with James McAvoy. Oh wow. 
was it I Frankenstein? It was James McAvoy and Daniel Radcliffe, and it was a retelling of the Frankenstein story from the point of view of his assistant. Hmm. And it was pretty well. I mean, I can't remember a whole lot of it. It wasn't too long ago. I want to say five, six years ago. Yeah, I don't remember that one. But it that one was pretty neat, I think. I mean, if I remember correctly. Man, why can't I remember so, this? So we'll get the research team on that and, <laughs> and, and see. But that one was a dud as well, unfortunately, in the box office. And I think at this point in our lives or this point in time in our society, we've almost gotten to the point where we're inundated with comic book movies and we're done with horror movies as far as classic horror movies. They've tried and been unsuccessful to reboot that's so interesting, that too, that you say that, because I was just watching something online. It was a new, newly produced video where the horror genre still does well, because, you know, you don't have to yeah. put much money into it to get, a, to get a return. But it's interesting that you say that the classic characters uh, are, are not at the forefront of everyone's mind, because you really don't, do you? You don't see Dracula films, no. this day, Frankenstein films, werewolf uh, man or werewolf films that are really steeped in this tradition today uh, i wonder why that is yeah i'm not sure i do know well and it started they started remaking a bunch in the 90s you remember like kenneth Branagh's frankenstein yeah um, what kind of started that was francis ford coppola made dracula right 92 i believe right. and that was phenomenal yeah that's a great movie i love that movie and then frankenstein came out and then there was um wolf with jack nicholson and michelle pfeiffer and there was also the Wolfman with, um, oh, it's oh god, is it Benicio del Toro? I think so. That was that was a few years later. Yeah, but, yeah, that was like an, yeah. in the early. Then there's 2000s. Mary Riley as well in there. Yeah, with um, Julia Roberts, and it was a Doctor Jekyll, Mister Hyde retelling. So there, there was some attempts to reboot that gothic horror genre, if you will, and it never really took off. No. Oh. There was even funny attempts. There was the uh, Johnny Depp's Dark Shadows. Dark Shadows, yes, yes, <laughs> that's true. Which I just recently started watching the Dark Shadows TV show. How far are you into so, it? I want to say I'm like near the middle of season one. So very. I'm early. guessing that you're starting with when they changed it to gothic, right? You didn't watch the first uh, chunk of it that was not had anything to do with the horror stuff. I'm, I started with season one, episode one. Wow, man. So. Which still had some gothic elements and such, so that's cool. So it is. It's very neat. It's, I mean, each episode's only like twenty three minutes, so it's pretty quick to watch. But, yeah, and it's fun to binge, but very atmospheric, and I like it. But anyway, yeah, they've tried so many times to reboot things, and it just doesn't work, unfortunately. Well, let me yeah. ask you this: Have you seen the Netflix special? It was within the last three or four years at most, because I know I watched it. I think during the shutdowns, COVID shutdowns mm-hmm. three years ago. And it was, it was like a three part or three episode Dracula series. And they, they were more than 20 minutes. I mean, they were long yeah. episodes, like little mini movies. Have you seen that? I have not. Dracula untold, I believe is what it is. Is no, that what it's called? Uh, maybe. Whatever or Dracula it, or I Dracula. I can't remember. Whatever it, it yeah. is, the title of it, it was great. Yeah. Like, I will check it out. You'll have for to sure. check it out. It's yeah. gloomy by the time it's over. Yeah. Super yeah. gloomy, but it's uh it's really, really cool. Yeah, we'll definitely check it out. And um yeah, that's I mean, that's as brief as we can be for the Frankenstein movies I mentioned and you know, modern ones and such, because there's so much here we could do a whole season yeah, for sure. on these movies and Frankenstein and such. Absolutely, we could. Well, I mean, if we're going to tie that up, then uh, we'll be right back with a new segment, Toy Time. I heard him yelling in the castle. Fix me. His name's Big Brain. Fix me. I said, I'm going to fix you. The talking monster, Big Brain. I'll fix you, Big Frank. Monster Boy's fixed. <laughs> How do you feel now, Frank? It's always fun to fix him. Monkey monster, Big Frank. Big Frank talks and his eyes light up. Battery's not included. Fix me. Okay, in this segment, we will discuss toys that tie in with the episode topic. Um, Since there are not so many Frankenstein toys, we're going to sort these out by decade and briefly discuss each one. So in the 60s, we'll start with the 60s because I don't think they had toys prior to that uh, for Frankenstein. 
Yeah, I don't know. Uh, the the brief research I did, anyway, um, did not pull up much of anything. So you had the Marks Frankenstein toys, you know, Marks uh, wind-up toys and such. Yep. And they're metal, you know, the tin toys and such. But um, the Marks Frankenstein robot and, of course, the Aurora model kits, which were amazing. Yeah, those are great. Those, and they still make those today. And yeah, I saw some of those recently at a antique mall that I was at. Somebody had put them together. They were in a glass case, but yeah. those Aurora models, they had one for Dracula, Frankenstein, and uh, the Wolfman. It was, it was, they're pretty cool. If I was confident, one, if I owned an airbrush, but two, if I was confident in my airbrushing skills, I would com- I would do those and put them on a display, and it would be awesome, but I'm just not very confident in my <laughs> technical abilities when it comes to model making i guess and i totally painting. get it but after the 60s moving into the 70s you got the migos because they had licensing for i don't know everything and everything uh, everything yeah i mean they held which is unusual to hear of nowadays you don't think about this they held both star wars and star trek licensing that's amazing. And Marvel and DC. And Marvel and DC, yeah. You Which, can't do that. You wouldn't hear about that nowadays. No, no. It's 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 crazy. Uh, you know, I love those Mego um, action figures. Uh, I had a bunch of the Star Trek ones. I had the Enterprise. But, you know, the monster ones really do. They left uh, an impression in my mind. So when I was a child in the 70s. Say what? Child in the 70s. I'm old. Child in the 70s. Hey! Everybody, an old man's talking. Child in the seventies, and that's probably that was probably the last time I did watch these Universal horror films. It's been a while, um, but it did leave an impression in my mind. So a lot of the stuff that you're mentioning, it's coming back to me, uh, and the things that I <clears throat> really, my idea of Frankenstein and what the Frankenstein monster was came from three things, and one was the Universal Pictures, the second was the Mego action figure, and the third was Scooby Doo. Zoinks! 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 Chinkies! Chinkies! Oh, chinkies! Oh, yeah. Scooby-Doo. Yeah, so I mean, that, they, so those three things yeah. were the, that really completed Frankenstein for me. Oh, yeah, for sure. And I am I pulled up an image of the Migo Frankenstein action figure. Vest or no vest? No vest. All right. It's the yeah. original costume, pretty much. I mean, it's a green suit with a dark or a black shirt then just like he's supposed you know. to look so but yeah identical the way he's supposed to look no <laughs> vest thank goodness but yeah amigo like i did not that was a little bit ahead of my time so because i was born in 76 so sure it was ahead of my time to be playing with migos like i think my grandparents had some i think migos kind of what did they die out by the early mid to mid 80s I think they died out late 70s, early 80s. Yeah. Because the major toy line that came out was Star Wars. Once you got those little action figures, it killed the big action figure. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. 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 Radio killed the... Video star. Video killed the radio star. Yeah, video killed the radio star (laughs) type thing there. I don't know. Anyway, so yeah, after that, in the 80s, you had those little three-quarter inch figures, right? Right. And Remco produced the classic monsters and case. And have you seen this? I've seen them since you mentioned them recently, but I honestly don't remember those from the 80s. I didn't remember them from the 80s. Maybe briefly, like in my subconscious or something. Because when I saw pictures, I'm like, I kind of remember a commercial for that, kind of. But I got to tell you, I want one now. (laughs) That case is like a castle case with a lab and like, hidden compartments and stuff. It's vinyl with cardboard inserted and, you know, painted cardboard and stuff. It looks really cool. And the figures, I mean, they're simple. They're not a whole lot of articulation. You know, shoulders, hips, maybe head, and that's it. Almost like the Super 7 figures are now. Yeah. But they just, they look really cool. And it would be fun just to put that on display, I think. But I digress. Like, that's one of those toys that I wish I had then knowing about it now <laughs> like had i known about it then i would have been like yeah whatever i wonder how well they sold i don't know uh, a lot of competition at the time you had the star wars action figures mm-hmm. and the gi joe action figures and let's face it by then like universal monster movies were not great they played on saturday afternoons they did find it you know a niche and you know people who liked them who were you know kids in the 30s and 40s but yeah but by then own. Boys in particular, if we're talking action figures and mm-hmm. heroes and monsters, I know girls like that kind of stuff too, but 
In particular, they were aimed at boys. By then, boys had other movies to look to that were up to date in terms of special effects. Oh, Star sure. Wars, Indiana yeah. Jones. I mean, all kinds of flicks. Wow, it's funny you mentioned two Lucas movies right off the bat. <laughs> Big impression of my youth. For sure, for sure. So, yeah, you're right. They, We had other things. Buck Rogers, they did try to do a toy line and didn't do so hot. But That's right. I had a few yeah. of those. I had a few of the Battlestar Galactica yeah. action yeah. figures. Yep. So, yeah, you're right. That's probably why they kind of fell by the wayside for monster action there figures. There were Micronauts. Yeah. Yeah, so they're about 40 years too late, in my opinion. But yeah, you know, they were. They were a little too late. You know. Now, in the 90s, there was a resurgence of popularity for Universal Horror because of the remakes, like that we previously mentioned, the Dracula and Mary Shelley's Frankenstein with Branagh and all that. That being the case, there was some licensing out from Universal to toy manufacturers, uh, such as Sideshow. It's a high-end collectible yeah. toy manufacturer, and McFarlane actually of spawn creation you know todd mcfarlane yep he created a monster series which series one and two i had both of those series and only in his weird wacky way were those good you know what i mean it's like and i picked up the first one because i'm a huge fan of the opera nerd as well and that was the first one i picked up and i was like well, these are kind of cool because they gave them a little playset and two figures and a bunch of accessories and stuff. So I ended up collecting all series one or two. And the the funny thing was with that, they had the creature and Igor for series one. And it came with a little lab setup. Series two actually had the doctor and another creature. Hmm. And more of a lab setup. And you could actually put them together to make a giant lab scene and it was just it was really neat though the designers at mcfarlane are terrific mm-hmm. regardless if it's these universal characters if it's the dragon line if it's the sports line if it's comic book characters i mean they're really just great designers <clears throat> excuse me yeah for sure and they, i can understand why they would make something that would go together like that they did so well with that i actually i ended up because i had the entire series and I, part of me opens toys and part of me doesn't like I say this because I'm I'm all for the toy liberation front if they're cool things like that with sets and stuff. Other ones like my DC um, superhero DC Universe did action figures back in the I want to say 2009 time period. Those aren't opened because <laughs> they don't come with anything. It's just a figure, <laughs> and the packaging looks great. You know, same with my tur- Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles toys. Um, when they re-released them, they were re-releases from the 80s. I had them in the 80s. I played with them. When I bought them as an adult, I did not open them because the packaging looked just like it did in the 80s. That's cool. However, these Todd McFarlane ones, I opened Series 1 and 2 Monsters, and I actually made a stop-motion movie with them oh, in that's my parents' great. basement. It's been lost to time, unfortunately, uh. but it was a good five-minute movie, and it took, like, all week, you know, but it was... It featured all the all the creatures and you know the That's doctor super and cool. bringing the yeah bringing the uh, monsters life and stuff and yeah it was it was that's, pretty neat. That's that sounds great. That's a lot of dedication. Yeah, yeah. And I said the music I used for it at the time was the soundtrack from Seventh Guest Computer Game. I don't remember so, that. Yeah, we'll have to. Uh, maybe we'll, our outro music will be that for this episode. <laughs> <Great>. <laughs> so it's interesting we'll see. you mentioned this. My son is uh, starting a camp next week to learn how to do stop animation, and uh, maybe I should dig up some old action figures for him. Yeah, yeah you've inspired sure. me. Yeah, it's it's a lot of work. Let me tell you. <laughs> <laughs> and that was be- pre-computer video editing for me as well. Uh, yeah, so, I didn't even think of that. So wow. yeah, it was a lot of you know. Take a, a shot, work. move them, take a yep, shot. Exactly. That's exactly what it was with my old uh, 8 millimeter camcorder. Man, you were trying to be Robot Chicken before Robot Chicken, weren't you? Yeah, yeah, for sure. <laughs> <laughs> so the other thing in the 90s from toys was uh, Big Frank. Refresh my memory. What is that? It, uh, the name rings a bell. It's kind of cool, in my opinion, now. It was part board game, part puzzle, part action figure. Hmm. In the 90s. And what it was, it was this giant doll-type action figure with a chest that opened. And it had all these pieces in it. Almost like Operation, you know. like, or, But you'd have to put the pieces in just right as like a puzzle uh, to make them feel better or something along those lines. But nice. 
it's, it was kind of cool. Like, I look at it now and go, oh, that's kind of neat. But it was a good size, you know, I want to say like 12-inch figure or something. Maybe 9-inch. But it was a good size uh, toy. And it looked to be for younger kids, so to speak. Yeah, I was going to say, I seem to recall it being marketed at younger kids. Yeah. So it was kind of neat. And I remember the commercial a little bit. It's from play school. So, yeah, it was definitely for younger kids. But, yeah, you'd open up its chest, and he had, like, a couple of gears and a heart and stuff and, like, a little switch. And it was just kind of neat, I think, you know. Yeah, that's but cool. The resale market on those now, I mean, talk about the 90s, they average in price for, like, 70 bucks on eBay wow. and stuff. So I'm like, wow. So there was something definitely nostalgic there for some people and stuff. But maybe it's because it's rare to find one with all the components. That's got to be it. That's got to be it because... I noticed the same thing with like mask toys, which I used to love, but M period, A period, S period, K period, not <laughs> not the mask with Jim Carrey, but yes, you know. I knew what mask you were talking good, about. Good, good, because I'm sure listeners are like mask toys. What is he talking about? <laughs> Mobile armored strike command. We'll have to do an episode on on some of the '80s cartoons and stuff. Those teams with their acronyms. Yes, and, yeah, that'd be yes, great. Command with a K. A lot of those filmation cartoons. Oh yeah, filmation and and Sumbo and um, I'm trying to think, Rankin Bass actually yeah. had a few, and the Thundercats and Silverhawks and that sort of thing. Yeah, some good stuff. So, wrapping up with the 2000s in current for toys, um, with the resurgence in the monsters popularity, they we saw more adult collectible toys. Um, SciShow, as I mentioned, had an 8-inch and 12-inch figures for Frankenstein. Um, then they went through and did all the monsters, I think. And I had a few, not of Frankenstein at the time, because I wasn't as big of a fan as I am now. However, I did have, like, the Phantom of the Opera one, and I think Dracula as the 8-inch. I call them in-action figures because they're they're made to be put on display. You start moving the elbows around, they snap. So, you know, it's like, ah. That's so interesting that you say that because you, you jarred another memory from yeah. something I've read recently. You said two things now. You were just talking about yeah. this move towards collectibles as action figures, and you mentioned the 90s and resurgence and uh, into older properties. And that is uh, both comics and, and what we're talking about right now, though, uh, action figures, They're most of those sales are to guys in our age range and not to children yeah yeah we're the target audience for sure i don't think my son has asked for an action figure ever in his life no i don't think he's he's asked for some of these action figures that are like stretch armstrongs that stretch when he was younger but other than that he's never asked for a single action figure yeah i don't i don't see why they would thanks minecraft (laughs) (laughs) yeah right i know dang it can i let me throw in one more tidbit yeah yeah this uh, another memory that was jarred as we were sitting here in grade school, mm. we had a costume contest, and my mom recreated the Bella Lugosi Dracula costume for me, and I oh, won yeah. first place. Nice. I forgot about that. Yeah, that's great. One of my victories, sure. one of my very few victories <laughs> in all of school. That's funny. That's pretty funny. Yeah, I, I don't think, well, I went to a Christian school. We didn't celebrate Halloween. Yeah, why would you sinners do that? Right? <laughs> Burn the witch! Heathens. <laughs> Heathens, yes. Yeah. So, so currently, what's out there? I'm, I'll throw out one thing that I've noticed. My mm-hmm. kids, it's going back to Scooby-Doo. My kids got a, about four or five years ago, a Scooby-Doo playhouse kind of thing. They did come with action figures, so he wanted that because it was Scooby-Doo. Oh, he cool. wanted the Haunted Mansion because it's a Haunted Mansion. Mm-hmm. And it did come with some action figures. It came. I made sure to buy the Mystery Machine so I could get all the, all the whole gang. But it came with all the classic monsters. It came with the Wolfman. I, I don't think we did get a Dracula, but it came with a Frankenstein. Cool. So it had a Frankenstein cool. and the, the deep sea diver, you know, whatever that whatever that character was from Scooby Doo. But uh, my point is, is that hey, Frankenstein was included in that set. So I guess right. I do have a one Frank and current Frankenstein action figure at home. Oh, for sure. That's that's awesome. I did get these Scooby Doo Playmobil toys because they're awesome. The Mystery Machine. Oh, those are cool. Scooby and the gang, and yeah, that's cool. That's because cool. I collect pop culture Playmobil. That's cool. Yeah, for sure. And currently, there's the Nemco action figure for Frankenstein. I don't know if you've seen this, but they do it in black and white as well. I, you know and what? It's so amazing. I sent you a picture the other day when I was at a, a antique mall with some Frankenstein characters. And I think one of them might have been, one of the action figures might have been a Nemco. Yeah, they are really good. I told the kids, I'm like, hey, if you ever want to get me a present, that's what you get me. <laughs> you know, like I could get it myself, but I just haven't, you know. 
Yeah, let somebody else buy it. Right, right, right. <laughs> but yeah, he's just it just is amazing. That those Nemco action figures I have Doc, Marty, and Biff from Back to the Future that my wife got me for Christmas one year. Um, which she's like, You're gonna open them, right? And I'm like, No, not those. The packaging's awesome. <laughs> you know, so <laughs> and and I told she's like, Well, she said, if I buy you Doc, you have to open all three. And they're still sealed in storage right now. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, it just goes to show that the Frankenstein character is uh, long-standing. It's still, it's all, although it might not be as popular as it has been at different stages since its inception, um, it always does circle back, and it never really completely falls out of the pop culture consciousness. I mean, you look at flicks like Hotel, or uh, yeah, Hotel Transylvania, mm-hmm. and the the Frankenstein creature is a big part of that. So even though, you know, it's different takes and whatnot, Frankenstein in general, it has staying power, uh, the, the, the story and the creature itself. And I'm sure in another 20 years, there'll be plenty more to talk about this creature that's been added. Oh yeah. Yeah. Timeless. I think is timeless the is the name word. we're looking for or the word we're looking for there. That's right. So, timeless. And, you know, unfortunately I'm no Dean Kamen. I don't know if you know who Dean Kamen is. I know I just Dean Kamen is, but I don't know who Dean Kamen Dean Kamen. I just, I just learned this recently. He was the inventor of the Segway uh, oh. in broadcasting. So, well, hey, look, can I try one? Sure. You go for <clears> it. <throat> Here we go. So, moving on to Comic Corner. Yeah, that was That was, nah, that was, that was, that was a little weak. But <laughs> like, <laughs> Speaking of pop culture. That would have been better. Yeah. That, Speaking of pop culture. There we go. Speaking of pop culture. How about moving on to Comic, Comic Corner? Corner? Yeah, there we go. Now, that, that you just made Dean Kamen proud, I'm sure. I know. I was, I was channeling my inner um, Ted Knight. There you go. For sure. So I got a quote for you. Yes. Let's I'm going to read this quote. From a comic. We'll see if you can guess who said the quote. I saw a flash. Then, as the thunder resounded in my ears, fire shot through my shoulder, and I screamed out with pain such as I had never known before. A searing pain ripped through my body. I forgot you, Frankenstein. For the moment since my hellish creation, I have turned my hatred on my attackers. That one's easy. Must be the creature. It's it's a creature. Yeah, yeah. I was thrown off at first when you said I saw I saw a flash or something like that. Mm. I immediately was going, okay, flash, lightning. Yeah. Is this the Crisis on Infinite Earths? Okay, <laughs> right, right. Yeah. No, it is a creature from Marvel's Monster of Frankenstein run. Nice. Um, I have the omnibus of the you know volume one or whatever, and I don't know why they chose the Son of Frankenstein costume for it, but. You know, well, they for, did for the fur, but the other th- direction they went, which surprised me and comics from that era were definitely colorful. And I like that in some aspects, like mm-hmm. I, there's something nostalgic about seeing, you know, full page full of, you know, bright, vibrant colors and such four color funnies, four color funnies. Yeah. And it's definitely in that era. But one of the things they did and I was kind of surprised with, I mean, we are talking Marvel. Maybe they didn't want to get confusion with the incredible hulk but they made the creature like a grayish white yeah they did you're right he wasn't very green he was not green or pale green or you know even like off blue or anything he was like a grayish white which really drew attention to his costuming and hair and you know some of the gave him some stuff to work with with background this was such. both with the i i don't remember was this both with the 50s and 70s i believe if it would have been the 50s it would have predated the hulk yeah so yeah. but if they did it with the so if they did it in the 70s and not the 50s that could have been why if they did it in the 50s even before there was a hulk because even the hulk was gray at first he wasn't green right um right. that uh that probably wouldn't be the reason why. It could be. be. I don't know. I mean, he's kind of a bluish, I guess. Yeah, yeah. Case, it's so. a weird color, right? It's weird, but it's, I think they're trying it, to give him almost like the the dead look. Yeah, maybe <laughs> the dead minus the rotting look, the, just the cold look. And the thing I like about that, though, I mean, honestly, like I miss my green Frankenstein creature. But the thing I like about it is, like I said, it gives the artist a chance to play with backgrounds and such. 
you know, and do some unique things with other characters and make them kind of the focus, narratively speaking, through the colors that they chose, the color palette and the, mm-hmm. you know, and the art. So, yeah, yeah, that's just my two cents on the Monster of Frankenstein comic. I've not read a whole lot of it, honestly, but what I have read has been pretty well done. Well, you know, uh, the Frankenstein monster is uh, in the public domain, so both Marvel and DC have done adaptations. And DC is, from what I recall, most recently after the New 52. I can't remember the name of the title, but it was a great departure. But it was kind of cool, kind of fun, what little bit I saw. But there are a lot of uh, Frankenstein um, comics out there. Have you read any of the others besides the Marvel? I have. um, Well... If you want to talk a one-shot, I read the um, Castle of the Bat Elseworlds title from DC Comics. And I don't know if you've read that one. I have not. Or um, you know what? I'll take that back. I think I did when it first came out. That's been a while, though, right? Yeah, yeah, for sure. I want to say mid-'90s. Yeah, I probably did when it came out. But the the thing that threw me off about that, and it has its place, and don't get me wrong, the painting style of comic books. It went through a... I guess an era of paint, like painting style, like Alex Ross is a great artist. So I'm not going to knock him, but right. you know what I mean? Like the castle of bat was not drawn, hand drawn panels. It was, do all you remember panels. who did it? I don't off the top of my head. We'll get the research team on that. Jumping, jumping. So, um, that kind of threw me off the first time I read it. And I was like, it was almost distracting to me as a comic book lover at the time. Now I can appreciate it for art, but at the same time, I just want to read the story. And Bo Hampton, you know, Bo Hampton did it. Okay, yeah. So, and I think he did the cover for the Batman Mask one, which was a Phantom of the Opera Batman story. So, which is kind of funny, but um, it looked like it anyway. I never read that one, but they and then of course Batman versus Dracula and such. But the yeah, you uh, know what? Now that I look at the cover of this uh, Castle of the Bat, I don't think I did buy it. Yeah, I bought it, and it was not bad. It was different. As opposed to, a spoiler alert for a 30-year-old comic, as opposed to Bruce Wayne taking on the mantle of Batman, set in the Victorian age, and he's a doctor, and his parents are murdered, and he's like, I wish I could use, I could really use my dad's input now, and you know, that sort of thing. So he brings his dad back to life. (laughs) His dad wants vengeance for his murder. And goes crazy, and he's a creature, and he dresses up like a giant bat and kills people. <laughs> so it's crazy. And goes on a rampage. It actually so. sounds fun. It is kind of fun. Like the the premise is really cool. I thought, but it was not cool enough for it to get its own animated uh, version. Because you know they did Gotham by Gaslight it was animated now. Yeah, uh, two of them, yeah. and then they have you know all the other graphic novels that they've animated at this point. Gotham by Gaslight was pretty special. Yeah. yeah. Red Sun, the Superman Red Sun yeah. one, where Superman lands in Russia as opposed to Kansas. They've it, done that one animated now. It's so funny that you say that. In recent years, DC's animation has been way better than their live-action films. Oh, for sure. I've I've thought that since 2007. Yep. yep. <laughs> for know? sure. So, yeah, it's it, I feel that way, too. And I honestly, there's parts of me that wonder if it's better than some of their titles. Right now. Oh yeah, it is. So. DC Comics are selling so poorly; it's it's abysmal. It got to a point, and I don't know where it is in the last two or three months, where fifty percent of all the titles they published were Batman related hmm. because nothing was selling. Wow. Well, I will say, my friend James has really enjoyed the current Superman run. Uh, I believe Superman, the world's finest Superman, Batman. There's a title out there. I can't remember the title that started in the last year or so, written by Mark Wade. And it's kind of like his return to form. I've not read an uh, issue yet, but I've um, watched videos with critics. And they all clamor about it. So I, yeah. it does sound like Superman is doing uh, – the stories are great right now. And it's a surprising that it's just not selling better than it is. Yeah, yeah, for sure. So speaking of Frankenstein, you asked me if I had read any other comics with Frankenstein in them. And it jarred a memory, much like your you know, yeah. Dracula costume memory. When I was younger, I loved Flintstones. Oh, yeah. And I remember the Flintstones cartoon on Saturday mornings. They had their creepy next-door neighbors that were kind of like the Adam's Family type thing. or you know. Yeah. And the dad was a Frankenstein-type creature. Yes. And I can't remember what they're called, but I've been trying to find those cartoons for a little while, and, and I, I'm having a hard time finding them. So, listeners, 
hit us up and comment what the title is or whatever. So I don't know. I've tried a few different Flintstones titles, and I'm like, no, this isn't it. I'll take a look and see if I can find it, too, because I yeah. do love the Flintstones. It's so funny that you mentioned that because it, it made me think that there's a ton of other pop culture stuff we've skipped, like the monsters. Oh, and, yeah, the monsters. You know, yeah. things of that nature. Yeah, there is so much out there. Like we said, They timeless. just had that monsters movie that came out from Rob Zombie. It looked hideous, and I didn't even attempt to try it, but... <laughs> You've made me speechless. <laughs> I attempted. How was it? Pretty awful. I couldn't finish it. I shut it off after about seven minutes. Yeah. I, I just, like I said, you made me speechless with how bad it is. I can't even think <laughs> of how to even discuss it. Because <laughs> I have a friend who's big into horror and pop culture and comic books, and he writes for CBR.com and... Um, a few others he's a freelance writer and he enjoyed it for what it was i guess if you take your brain out no pun intended if you if you just sit there and maybe if i'm like i don't know doing modeling or something and working on some warhammer or something while it's on in the background it might be enjoyable but he said for what it is it's actually very enjoyable and i'm like i couldn't wrap my head around it Hmm. i just couldn't now, if he shot in black and white, it may have been different, but, like, very bold and colorful, and I'm just like, eh. And it wasn't, it was just, like, all the jokes seemed to fall flat for me, and it just, I did not I saw it. clips of it, and it just looked terrible. Where uh, is it streaming right now, do you know? I don't know. It was streaming on Netflix. I'll have to see if I can find it just to... See how long I can last. Yeah, maybe it's a new challenge. <laughs> yeah. See how far you can get into the Monsters movie. And or any I was other, like, that's great. Yeah, it was it was bad. But, yeah, we had the Flintstones for pop culture reference for Frankenstein, and I mentioned. And there's oh, there was another one Adam Sandler had mentioned. But I'm drawing a blank on it now. But it was the same type of thing where, you know, kids' cartoons and that sort of thing. But, hmm. yeah, speaking of comic books uh, – the Dell Comics New Frankenstein, I had not read. I mean, that's from 1964, so I don't see why I would. Was that a one-shot or was that a series? I believe it was a one-shot. Yeah, I, did, I, I never know. read many Dell Comics, no. despite the fact of having thousands of comics. I just Dell I was on the wane when I started reading. Yeah, yeah. I, I read quite a few uh, because they had licensing for, like, Hanna-Barbera cartoons and stuff. Yeah. So, so Gold Key Comics, you know. But And then, of course, there was Classics Illustrated. Frankenstein, which I didn't read that one. I have read several classics illustrated, but I did not read that one. Those were good if you didn't want to actually read a novel for class. Right, right, for sure. Like, oh, I got to read a Connecticut Yankee and King Arthur's Court. <laughs> yeah. Let me uh, check out the comic book version. Yes. For sure. For sure. So let's move on to gaming because I think this pretty much, there's not much out there for Frankenstein comics. And, you know, Dean Kamen would be very disappointed in my segue <laughs> right there. <laughs> well, <laughs> but, comics, I mean, you know. gaming's interesting because. There are so many types of undead in fantasy gaming, right? Oh, for sure. And so they're all, or many of them anyway, could you could say that they are influenced by Frankenstein mm-hmm. in one way or another. Yeah, like the flesh golems for yep. D&D and Pathfinder. Like they could de- you could I could definitely see some inspiration there of creatures stitched together and for brought sure. back to life. And, well, even if you're talking about Dungeons and Dragons, revivify spells and things of that yeah. nature there are some people that homebrew or some games uh, variations or takes on D where a character that player character that's been killed comes back and they're not normal oh, something's wow. changed yeah. so yeah, yeah. The, there, there's a lot of influence uh, of frankenstein throughout fantasy oh yeah for sure for sure and you know there's i've not seen a whole lot of flesh golems in our now, we did come across a corpse collector in your first campaign there. But, yeah, yeah, a couple but, of uh, those. <laughs> I have not seen a whole lot of Frankenstein-type creatures in my experience playing, but... I am in a campaign right now that I'm a player where I'm not a DM, and we recently had... Um, oh, gosh, I can't remember the name of it. I want to say Book Gollum. And I may oh, be wrong, but it's like this collection of books that are together oh, yeah, and uh, brought to life, and it was a guardian of this uh, ancient library that needed to be protected. That was kind of cool, and it did remind me of Frankenstein. Okay. Well, there you go. So in other games, um, like we said, this Frankenstein's kind of timeless, so it's we're going to see a lot of 
instances of it in various, you know, pop culture, games, action figures, that sort of thing. Sure. But just a few years back, there was a the company Ravensburger did a board game called Horrified, which being a huge fan of Universal Horror, I was like, I've got to get it because <laughs> I'm a big board game geek. Picked it up. One of the reasons I like these types of games is many times they can be played solo because my kids are older now and it's like, hey, you guys want to play a board game? No, we're going to do our thing. I guess I'll play by myself, you know, and, and that if I have time, you know, and I'm able to, I will, but I haven't done that in a few years now. Horrified, on the other hand, is one of those I would not mind digging out occasionally and playing. The premise is it's a European village or Eastern European village that's being attacked by all the monsters. <laughs> <laughs> um, it really depends on the difficulty of the game level of what you want to play, if you want to include all the monsters or not. But Frankenstein and Bride of Frankenstein are in it. And just a brief example of how it's played. You are a hero, so to speak, that's looking to vanquish the town from the creatures and keep peace there. Like, because the town will, like, every turn there's a chance that their insanity level will go up and, and they'll start to frenzy. And, you know, next thing you know, you're, get, you're attacked by a mob because they want to drive you out of town because you're not doing your job of killing the creatures, you know. So that's one aspect of it. The other aspect is, as a hero... In order to vanquish the creatures. For example, let's take Dracula because that's one of the easier ones. You have to make your way to the chapel, get a silver cross, make your way around the board, get these three wooden stakes, and collect them. And then you've got to go to these various places, destroy the coffins. Then you got to meet Dracula at Carfest Abbey, and then you can defeat him. Because you have the silver cross and you have the three wooden stakes. But... And he can't return to his coffins. So if you do any of those out of order, you won't defeat him. You know, so each creature has steps like that in order to vanquish them. Now, Frankenstein, the creature of Frankenstein is a unique creature in as much as he is on the board with the bride of Frankenstein. Because he's searching for his bride. And if you see the movie, the bride wants nothing to do with the creature, you know. So it's kind of funny. But if those two ever meet up on the board, game over. You lose. Oh, wow. So you have to vanquish one and then the other, and that they're a little bit higher end for, you know, difficulty or level of difficulty. Sure. But yeah, it's pretty crazy. And at the whole, the whole same time, the creatures have a, an AI built in because there's villagers around the, you know, around the board, and they will automatically move towards the closest villager to attack it. Oh, wow. So it's like you got to save villagers or else the madness level will go up. You've got to, you know, vanquish creatures, and you've got to, you know, so keep these two from finding each other. And, you know, so it's it's a fun game. It sounds like it. And the nice thing is the heroes that you play each have a different, I guess, uh, shtick, if you will, where let's say you're the messenger. That means you can, you know, trade an item with another player uh, once per turn for free because you get, like, two or three actions per turn. And it's like, okay, well... For a free action, I'll trade you, and I'll give you this wooden stake, and you give me that jar, and, you know, that sort of thing. So it's it's really a neat concept game. Now, the, I think the coolest thing about it is the graphic design on the game. It really evokes a sense of old-school monster movies. Oh, that's great. In the insert in the box, before you even get to the instructions... It's almost word for word the identical speech that's said in front of the Frankenstein movie by um, oh, I'm try- Edward Van Sloan. And he, he said, like, the the actual speech goes something like, Mr. Kyle Jem- Lemley Jr. believes that it would be unfair to offer this picture without a word of warning. If you do not wish to subject your nerves to such an ordeal, well, we warned you. You know, and it, it has a warning, basically. There's an insert in the game that says the same type of thing, almost word for word. And it's like, it may shock you. It may even terrify you. You know, and it's just like, oh, this is fun. You know, this is such a great game. And the, like I said, the graphic design, the font they use, and the just the backgrounds and such, they look like old school movie credits and yeah, posters. That's awesome. It is very awesome. So I'll have to check that out. I have seen it out there. It's so much fun. What is it, like 70 bucks? I think it's like 60 or 70. Um We'll get together and play someday because I do have it. Yeah, and sounds good. It's it's just amazing fun. I thoroughly enjoy it. Well, it's nice to see that these universal creatures and Frankenstein in particular are still such a large part of the public consciousness and 
part of pop culture. Oh, for sure. Like, it's just sad to me that they can't reboot it and they can't figure out how to reboot it. Now, that being said, I will say this. There was a, I think the actress's name is Elizabeth Moss from um, Handmaid's Tale. She was in a movie just within the last few years. I want to say even beginning of uh, 2017. And it was a reboot of The Invisible Man. Hmm. Where she played a woman who had been in an abusive relationship. And she was like getting away from him. Well, he ended up becoming the Invisible Man. Through oh, I don't can't remember how. I remember this now. But he was stalking her and stuff. And it, wow, that movie was really good for a reboot. I mean, it was better than the Kevin Bacon Invisible oh, Man. Much better. I mean, it was. Yeah, Hollow Man was not. I yeah. I had high hopes for Hollow Man. I did I too. Like, and I I'll rewatch it occasionally. Yeah, but, yeah. But um, or Memoirs of an Invisible Man with uh, Chevy Chase. <laughs> that was. But a lot. if they could do. The classic gothic horror movies, the way they did the most recent Invisible Man, I think they would be set. Right. It looks like they tried to do it with The Mummy, with Tom Cruise, and that fell flat. I haven't seen that flat. I yet. have not seen it either, but it looked like it changed way too much. And I like the Brandon Fraser Mummy movies. Yes, those were amazing. Those, those were, were a great reboot. They were fun. They were, yeah. you know, they were amazing. So... Yeah, I forgot about that cruise. We'll not to check that out. Yeah, yeah. So the if they could reboot them like that, I think they'd do okay. Yeah, but, it's not an easy thing. And it's not an easy thing, as the Mummy with Tom Cruise has proved. I've not seen it, but just from watching the trailers, I was like, okay, they changed it, and it looks like it's an action movie, not a you know horror movie or a you know suspense movie. And unfortunately, that can work it worked really well for brendan frazier's mommy because yeah. it had a sense of fun indiana jones type pulp feel it did which that works for the mummy but i don't think it would work for like frankenstein you know so yeah that might be tough like rebooting frankenstein might be tough at this point but i don't know hopefully they will soon hopefully yeah. they will soon and they'll and they'll be successful yeah, but i would think so you know just like the creature on that fiery windmill we are out of time be sure to check out our patreon and get exclusive access to bloopers if they happen outtakes and more like and subscribe and follow broken stairs productions on facebook and instagram and feel free to send them some feedback and you might get featured on the show you can find me at the fattest jedi and on facebook as author mark allen ron where can they find you i don't really have any socials set up for uh for the public right now Okay, well, there you go. <laughs> you can always email or message Broken Series Productions as well if you want to say, say a shout-out to Ron or whatever. But until next time, play, play on, on, nerds. nerds.